And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. This your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order, you know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, Ida Lupino stars in a story about a woman who helped Abe Lincoln win the Civil War on the Hallmark Playhouse from 1948. Then Teenie's Cat is under Fibber's porch on Fibber, McGee, and Molly from 1947. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. Good to see you, Dipley. Thank you. You too. And we have Mike Costello over here, our executive producer. So the whole team is in place to present classic radio shows for you. Well, uh, on this particular episode, Ida Lupino stars in the Hallmark Playhouse. Now, this was a drama series. Came to radio in 1948, lasted all the way until 1953. And it was hosted by British novelist James Hilton. It was sponsored by Hallmark Cards. It featured well-known stories from literature with top Hollywood actors. And it was directed by D. Engelbach, as heard on CBS. This particular episode is called The Woman with a Sword. It's from December 9, 1948. Here's part one of The Hallmark Playhouse. Tonight, from Hollywood, the makers of Hallmark greeting cards bring you Miss Ida Lupino in Hollister Noble's Woman with a Sword on the Hallmark Playhouse. Each week, Hallmark will bring you Hollywood's greatest stars in outstanding stories chosen by one of the world's best-known authors, the distinguished novelist, Mr. James Hilton. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is James Hilton. Tonight on our Hallmark Playhouse, we present the story of one of the most remarkable women America has ever known. Perhaps that's a challenging thing to say, but then we have a challenging story to tell. A novelist, Mr. Holliston Noble, recently wrote a book called Woman with the Sword, and it is his book that we are dramatizing tonight for the first time on the air. And we have the additional good fortune to have as our guest star that charming and brilliant actress, Ida Lupino. Now, Hallmark Playhouse, starring Ida Lupino in Hollister Noble's Woman with a Sword. The year 1865, the day victory. Abraham Lincoln sent the following message to Secretary of War Stanton. Mr. Secretary, I concur most heartily with your recent statement. As you said so eloquently, hers was the greatest course in the war. As an unofficial member of the cabinet, she did the great work that made others famous. Miss Anna Ella Carroll. Unusual, isn't it? Anna Ella Carroll, a name you've probably never heard of. I never did until recently. And yet, in Secretary of War Stanton's own words, she did the great work that made others famous. Anna Ella Carroll, woman with a sword. (laughs) 
Mr. Lincoln, if this cabinet meeting proves anything at all after one year of war, it proves that we have armies without a plan, a nation without a head. Oh, poor as it is, I am the head of this nation by the body's free choice. A, a civilian as confused as yourself and with no legal right whatsoever to dictate to the armed forces. That's the province of our commander-in-chief, General McClellan. The Army's plan is to open the Mississippi, which uh, none of us have the power to alter. But I may have some more news for you on that subject tomorrow. Well, good day, gentlemen. Good day, Mr. President. Mr. President, Judge Bates to see you. Oh, hello, Judge Bates. Well, Mr. President, did you read it? I have studied it, sir. It proves beyond any doubt the constitutional fact that in time of war, the President becomes Commander-in-Chief of the Armed Forces. Thank heaven. Uh, surely the need for secrecy as to this lawyer's identity no longer exists. Who is it? A lawyer whose specialty is transportation, rail, and river. Perfect. He can take a crack at the Mississippi Expedition. Where is he? This lawyer is in the other room awaiting an audience. Uh, Mr. President, may I present the author of the document which proves you Commander-in-Chief, Miss Anna Ella Carroll of Maryland. Good afternoon, Mr. President. I'm sorry to see you looking so tired. I'm not tired, ma'am, just flabbergasted. Uh, please do sit down, uh, Miss Carroll. Now you see the need for secrecy. But it's unfair. I'm accustomed to it, Mr. President. This is a man's world. Besides, I'm a southerner. Oh, of course, Anna Ella Carroll. You were the young lady who was charged with being a traitor of the Union, operating right under our noses here in Washington. Yes, I believe the gentleman who proved my treachery was Colonel Lem Evans of Texas. Until I explained that you were the source of all my confidential data... Uh, Colonel Evans was only doing his duty. And I should like to do mine. A woman can accomplish many things which men can. Including things men should have done. Your heart is with the South. Your mind tells you that preserving the Union is the only way to preserve the South. Uh, what are you driving at, Mr. President? Our military is staking everything on the Mississippi expedition. We, we must open that great river. We are an expert on transportation. Go to St. Louis, the headquarters of our Mississippi expedition. Then tell me whether you believe it can work. The city is under martial law. I'll need an escort. Fair enough. I've just a man for you. An ardent believer in the Mississippi plan, Colonel M. Evans. You mean the gentleman who charged me with treason? These are my orders. You've no one to blame but yourself. It was you who just made me commander-in-chief. <laughs> Colonel Evans, sir, here Miss Carroll's bags will be docking in St. Louis in a few moments. Oh, thank you. That's a strong current. The Mississippi, ma'am. And heading south like the tide of this war. We're changing that with our expedition. Those gunboats built by James Eads are strong and big. Too big. They're for combat, not pleasure. I was thinking of combat, Colonel. They're clumsy. Death traps. The slightest damage can put them out of commission, and our boys will float southward on the current to certain death. If you have some practical suggestion which would alter the Mississippi and make it run backwards, I'm sure we'd all be indebted to you. Why not alter the plans of men, Colonel? I've interviewed everyone out here, and I'm convinced that no intelligent person can support the Mississippi expedition. Surely you're not suggesting the Mississippi expedition is stupid and unworkable. You express my feelings very well, sir. The armies that will win this war must be transported by river. 
That's why the enemy waits on one end of the Mississippi and we at the other. But the southward current is on their side. Which we will fight with our gunboats. A contest you cannot win. The chances of war, ma'am. Not war, Colonel. Suicide. Now the boat's in. I have completed my function as your guide. Now say goodnight, Miss Carroll. I trust, Colonel. There's still enough southern chivalry left in you to help me with my bags to the dock. By all means, ma'am. What's that? Boatload of wounded soldiers, miss. All right there. Pile the wounded under the shed. Make way down below for the ambulances. Careful of the medicine. It's all that's left. Let me through, pilot. Are you a nurse, ma'am? I'm here on official business from Washington. These are my credentials. Credentials. More papers. If you're not a nurse, there's no room for you here, ma'am. Not a pleasant sight for a woman's eyes, either. Wounded and maimed they are. Two hundred left out of two thousand. What happened, pilot? I'm Colonel Evans. They knocked out the engines of our five gunboats. We drifted downstream. Living targets. By the time the engine of our one boat was repaired to pull back north, 1,800 had been slaughtered. Please let us through. Sergeant, let this lady and gentleman through. Right, Captain. Wait, Martha. It's too soon. Must be the lad's wife. Her sweetheart, he keeps talking to her. I don't want to die. We can't all be cowards. I heard the others. I I saw them. Don't you see, Martha? It wasn't like fighting and losing. The river was against us. It was losing with... Without a chance to fight. You're not cowards. You're heroes. And you'll all have a fair chance to fight. I promise you. I swear it. Mm. That's how they die, all of them. Speaking of the chance to fight they didn't have. Pilot, get us some smelling salts and water. Sergeant, smelling salts in the canteen. Quick about it. Aye, sir. Cowards. Yes, cowards. Afraid to admit you're wrong. Sending men to their deaths without a chance for victory. Easy, Miss Carroll. You'll be in bed soon. And what of their bed? Six feet of earth or the cold bottom of the river? The river. The river. That's it. It does flow north. She's hysterical. The Tennessee River. And it would split the rebel armies in half. Captain, we'd better get her to the pilot's house. She's delirious. She may be delirious, Colonel, but she's talking facts for sure. The Tennessee River does flow north, and taking it would split the rebel forces. The Mississippi flows south, with enemies at either end. A plan for war ending in disaster. But the Tennessee flows north, with friends at either end. A plan for victory ending in peace. I don't need smelling salts. What I want is the pilot's logbook, river maps, pencil and paper. Uh, how long have you been on these rivers, pilot? Just a week shy of 40 years, Miss Carroll. Then you know them well. As well as you know the human heart, young lady. Good, we have work to do. There's a study in my hotel suite. And you are free to join us, Colonel Evans. That is, if you care to. Four o'clock, Miss Carroll, and I admit defeat. My brain won't work. My eyes are shutting. Now, you're quite sure, Pilot Scott, that the Tennessee River is not too shallow at any point to carry those heavy gunboats. Not to my knowledge. And from General Grant, you know for a fact that beyond Forts Henry and Donaldson, there are no southern soldiers stationed along the Tennessee. They're all inland or on the Mississippi. Oh, then the shores of the Tennessee are not flanked by rebel soldiers. Only southerners, Americans, loyal to the Union. We hope. Hope means uncertainty, pilot. And I have none. I'm as certain of the depth of their loyalty as you are of the Tennessee. Now... If some of our gunboats were disabled on the Tennessee River, they'd float north, back into Union hands. Any fool who's piloted a boat in the Tennessee would confirm that. 
And why in heaven's name has no one thought of asking you river pilots? You seem to have forgotten. We are all southerners. And you have forgotten, pilot. We now have a commander-in-chief who doesn't think in terms of north and south, but only in terms of Americans loyal to the Union. This Carol of all the idiots in this army, I, I must be the biggest. I should have realized that you sought the answers to questions that we lack courage to face. Miss Carol, I... Carol, the lady's fallen asleep. I'll carry her to the couch. How small she is. How could those little pink ears hear so much? Those soft eyes see so clearly. Can it be that this little girl I hold in my arms will... Proved to be the military strategist who will save our union? The fight for Anna Carroll's Tennessee plan was only begun. By her own choice, her authorship was kept a secret. Some thought the plan was Lincoln's. Others thought it was Grant's. President Lincoln fought for it. Stanton agreed to become Secretary of War on condition that the Union abandon the Mississippi expedition and carry through Anne's Tennessee plan. But on every other side, the plan met with nothing but resistance. So here we are. Anna Ella Carroll is waiting in a room adjoining the presidential chamber. Unaware that she's listening in the next room are assembled the leaders of the military, transportation experts, the men in charge of guiding the war. Mr. President, I was born in Tennessee. The Tennessee River is not deep enough to carry the gunboats into southern territory. Thank you, Senator Johnson. We'll weigh your remarks with due respect. Uh, Mr. President, I take it you're determined not to disclose the name of the author of this so-called Tennessee plan. Correct, sir, for reasons of security. Security? With no disrespect, Mr. President, your so-called Tennessee plan is so disastrous, I'm... uh, I'm forced to the conclusion that its author is either a civilian, an amateur, or a rebel. You are forced, General, into rudeness by the painful necessity of facing the bare possibility that we were in error, while the author of this plan is correct. Good day, gentlemen. We reconvene tomorrow morning. You heard, Miss Carroll? Civilian. Amateur rebel. Need only add the word woman. Mr. President, give them proof. Once fought Henry and Donaldson fall. All it would take is one Union gunboat on the Tennessee River with a crew of 15. It could go all the way into Mississippi and Alabama without a shot being fired. And I can prove it. Can you? Where would you find men brave enough to volunteer for such a mission? Pilot Scott. And 13 of his riverboat crew? That still leaves one. Sir, you seem to have forgotten me. Mr. President, Forts Henry and Donaldson have been captured. Good. Now pray God that young lady can prove her case. Pilot, you're sure the crew doesn't know I'm on board? Quite sure, Miss Carroll. Have we passed the worst of it? No, ma'am. Up ahead is the low water mark. It has to be deep enough. It has to. The Union depends on it. And? Lem. 
Clem, what are you doing here? How could you have planned to do this without me? Well, I, I thought you might still disagree with this plan. That was only one of many mistakes I've made. And since corrected. Oh, Lem, I'm glad you're here. And, and there's one mistake I can't afford to make. And that would be not to tell you how much I've come to love you in so short a time. And I must tell you that I feel the same about you, Lem. In fact, at this moment, it's the only thing I'm really sure of. Oh, this is a good time to be sure of such a thing. Here it comes, Miss Carroll. Low water mark. We're inches from bottom now. Close your eyes and pray. We cleared it. And at low water. All that remains to be tested now, Miss Carroll, is the depth of southern loyalty. It's my first mate. We're in enemy waters, Captain. The sun's up. Shall we man the guns? No. Break out the flag and stand by to hoist. Captain, they've seen us. And they're rushing out of their houses to the shore with guns. You heard the orders. Head closer to shore, pilot. I am, man. Not a promising welcome. Awaiting orders, ma'am. Hoist the Union flag with full naval ceremony. Captain, we ought to wait until we find out their reaction. That's the only way to find out their reaction. Hoist the Union flag with full ceremony. Union armies win smashing victory at Vicksburg. Union army occupies Chattanooga. Atlanta captured. Richmond surrenders. How suddenly a war ends. Lemons as though somewhere it isn't really over. Oh, but it is over, darling. Now we can go to Texas as Mr. and Mrs. Evans. What a wonderful fruit of victory. The only fruit of victory that will satisfy me is an end of this conspiracy of silence about you. Your plan won the war, and the world has been clamoring for its author. When you speak to Mr. Lincoln alone today, you better raise this question or I will. Oh, spoken like a man of the family. Oh, here he comes. Here comes the president. Good morning, Mr. President. Wonderful morning. Won't you join me, Miss Carroll? Thank you. Well, Miss Carroll, you made a commander-in-chief. You gave him a plan. You helped him carry it out. You won a war. Sir, my thoughts are on peace. The Secretary of War, Stanton, spoke to me last night. He advised me that he would consider it a great privilege to present you to Congress and Senate as the author of the Tennessee Plan demanding legislation that would grant you the honorary pay of a major general of the Union armies, dating from 1861. Mr. President. However, exercising my prerogative as president, I turn him down. I understand. The privilege of presenting you to Congress and Senate is something I insist upon doing myself. Thank you, Mr. President. Before us lies the mangled road to peace, Miss Carroll. You come from Maryland. A lot of important work could be done there. I'm sorry, sir. I'm marrying Lem Evans and returning to Texas with him. Well, war's over. I'm no longer commander-in-chief. You should go to Texas. And uh, perhaps I should reread that verse which comes from the Bible. To everything there is a season. 
and a time to every purpose under the heaven. A time of war and a time of peace. Yes, Mr. President. And peace is the season for love. That's the first portion of the Hallmark Playhouse starring Ida Lupino. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Hi, this is Carl Amari. These classic radio shows are direct from master recordings and digitally remastered. We license these classic radio shows from the owners and estates for the privilege of using their master recordings as our source material so that we can pass that great sound quality on to you. Oh, you can find classic radio shows sold on the Internet from companies that are not authorized to sell them, but you'll often be disappointed by the inferior sound quality. If you enjoy listening to and collecting great sound quality classic radio shows, we've set up a website just for you at ClassicRadioStore.com so you can enjoy them anytime, anywhere. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com to download your favorites to your smartphone, computer, or any listening device. We offer thousands of digitally remastered classic radio shows, uncut and unedited, including the original commercials, delivered to you instantly via digital download. Log on to ClassicRadioStore.com. That's ClassicRadioStore.com. Your brain is an amazing thing, but as you get older, it naturally begins to change, causing a lack of sharpness or even trouble with recall. Thankfully, the breakthrough in Prevagen helps your brain and actually improves memory. The secret is an ingredient originally discovered in jellyfish. In clinical trials, Prevagen has been shown to improve short-term memory. Prevagen, the name to remember, now available in stores everywhere. Statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now let's get back to the Hallmark Playhouse. Lem, Lem, are you sure I look right in this dress? Well, you don't look like a major general, darling. But you do look like my bride-to-be. Oh, that must be my bonnet. Come in. Judge Bates. What is it? President Lincoln was shot an hour ago. Shot? Is he badly hurt? He's dying. No, I don't believe it. Now that you're more composed, Dan, I must speak of something. The president has planned to present you for recognition today, as you know. Secretary of War Stanton can do it instead. The decision is entirely up to you. Did you realize then that such an announcement at this time would jeopardize the peace? Will there ever be a proper time to... Wait, wait, Len. The president was right, and we were wrong. We called it peace, and in its deceptive blow, a killer aimed. Now Lincoln is dead. We have not won the peace, Len. We must still fight for it. Judge Bates. Please inform the Secretary of War that I would consider it most inappropriate to present me to the Congress and Senate at this time of national disaster. And you're making it easier for all of us. We will be grateful. Good night. Anne. Anne, what were you trying to tell me? Lem, darling, I too should like to rest. I I would like to be alone. I have a lot of thinking to do. 
to the Honorable, the very Honorable Lem Evans, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of the State of Texas. My darling, darling Lem. Yes, in the last three years, my answers to your letters have been infrequent and far too brief. My heart has been too full to permit it more expression. Now my head is in command, and I can tell you with all my heart that I love you and always shall, and hope one day to share a happy life with you in Texas. But the peace is not yet won, and in time of war, each defends his home. Yours is Texas. Mine is Maryland. Perhaps you are right that there is no real end to the fight for peace, and therefore to the road I'm traveling. But I desperately hope you are wrong. But even if you aren't, I cannot leave the battlefield now. The fact that I have not received recognition does not matter. Someday, somehow, that recognition will come. I have no hunger for it, Lem. My hunger is only for you. Sometimes I feel that I must rush blindly to Texas at once, forgetting everything. But then I remember. I remember the last words that President Lincoln spoke to me, and I know now why he spoke them. And I hope that you too may understand. To everything there is a season. And a time for every purpose under the heaven, a time of war, and a time of peace. Yours forever and ever, Anna Ella Carroll. Again, this is James Hilton. Miss Lupino, you've just brought to life for us a great American woman. Your performance was a tribute to her memory. For the makers of Hallmark Cards, our gratitude for your charming presence here this evening, and our thanks for your unforgettable performance of a forgotten woman. Thank you, Mr. Hilton. It's a great privilege to play Anna Ella Carroll. Thank you again for asking me to be here. I have enjoyed it. Do please visit us any time. Our Hallmark Playhouse is every Thursday. Our music is by Lynn Murray, our director-producer is Dee Engelbach, and our adaptation tonight was by J. Richard Kennedy. Until next Thursday, then, this is James Hilton saying good night. Look for Hallmark cards that are sold only in stores that have been carefully selected to give you expert and friendly service. Remember Hallmark cards when you care enough to send the very best. Ida Lupino is currently being starred in Roadhouse, a 20th Century Fox production. This is Frank Goss saying good night to you all until next week at the same time when James Hilton returns to present The Desert Shall Rejoice, starring John Hodiak. This program came to you from the Hallmark Playhouse. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. And that's the Hallmark Playhouse from December 9th, 1948, with The Woman with a Sword, starring Ida Lupino. And also in the cast, Gerald Moore, sponsored by Hallmark Cards, as heard on CBS. All right, before we tune into part one of Fibber, McGee, and Molly, I want to hold up 
something in my hand here. You see this, Lisa? Yeah, and the, the new March issue of Remind Magazine. Look at this Beautiful. magazine. Yeah, it has Wonder Women on it. What made these leading ladies so inspiring? We have Sally Field. We have Audrey Hepburn. We have Linda Carter, of course, Wonder Woman. Right. We have Loretta Lynn. We have Oprah Winfrey. And uh, big and bold right on the front is Princess Diana. And this magazine, folks, Remind, is a magazine you should be subscribing to because it is all about what you love, nostalgia and movies and TV and radio. And I do write for this magazine. My column is called Radio 360. And in this particular issue, the March issue, I wrote all about Lucille Ball. It's called Hollywood Loved Lucy. And then we have our whole schedule in here. Look, the entire March schedule, all the shows we're playing. And you can get a copy of Remind Magazine at any Walmart or any Barnes & Noble store. But you can go to their website, which is remindmagazine.com, and save about 60% off the newsstand price. It's a full-color magazine. And let me see. This is uh, 64 pages, this particular uh, issue. It has all kinds of puzzles and games and articles and posters and pictures, and it's just an incredible magazine. You should be subscribing to it. Remind Magazine, our main sponsor here on Hollywood 360. Go to remindmagazine.com. Okay, it's time for Fibber McGee and Molly, one of the funniest, longest-running comedies of the golden age of radio. This particular episode is from October 14, 1947. It's called Catching Teeny's Cat because Teeny's Cat is under the porch. Here's Jim and Marion Jordan now in part one of Fibber McGee and Molly. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. Maybe statesmen and politicians would listen more to the voice of the people. If smart people spoke up and the dumb people weren't so noisy. For instance, listen to an average citizen popping off as we join Fibber McGee and Molly. And another thing. If them so-called experts at the United Nations Conference took my advice, I'd clean up their troubles in two, two minutes flat. But no, they don't even answer my letters. Is that gratitude? Is that courtesy? Uh, is... What uh, What is your plan, sweetheart? Just send all the interpreters home. That's all. <laughs> and then? Then when them delegates started calling each other names, nobody would understand what they were saying. <laughs> Take it from one who knows, kiddo. There's nothing more discouraging than losing an argument with yourself. Well, I think you may have something there, McGee, but uh, maybe you if you gargle and take some aspirin, it'll go away. <laughs> Don't sell me short, baby. It's a terrific idea. If they can't argue with each other, they, they, they've got to agree. That's simple, ain't it? Well, there's just one thing. How would you keep them from shaking their heads? Turn out the lights. <laughs> well, you send them another letter, dearie. Send it registered mail. You bet. In the meantime, I've got to go upstairs and sort the laundry. Okay, Tootsie. Ah, there goes a good kid. <laughs> Steady as a rock and solid as a boogie beat. <laughs> Half the world in a turmoil, and what does she do? She sorts the laundry. 
Hi, George, if everybody was like her, there'd be more clean shirts and less dirty linen and... Aha, maybe that's a special delivery from Lake Success. Come in. Hi, mister. Oh, hello there, teeny. To what do I owe the doubtful place? Hey, 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 what you got there? Well, it's a kitty cat. Oh. <laughs> Isn't he cute? Mm-hmm. I've always wanted a little kitty cat, but my mama says cats carry germs, but this one isn't carrying any because I held him over the garbage can and shook him, I betcha. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's a few germs between friends anyway? Personally, I think it's a wonderful thing for children to have pets. Well, so does my mama, too, but she says the trouble is when the pets start having children. (laughs) Hey, he sounds like he's hungry. Oh, he can't be hungry, I bet you. No? I gave him a saucer root beer and two chocolate marshmallows and half my bubble gum. (laughs) You did, eh? Yes, he was so, hmm? I says you did, eh? Did what? Gave him all that stuff to eat. What stuff? A saucer root beer, two chocolate marshmallows, and half your bubble gum. Well, you forgot the dill pickle. <laughs> I gave him that the very first thing. Well, I'm sorry. I'll remember that in the future. I'm not going to give him any more in the future. <laughs> it made him sick. <laughs> oh, don't cry, Raymond. I won't give you any more pickles. <laughs> Raymond, eh? That's a cute name for a cat, sis. I, I don't like it. Hmm? I think Raymond is a bum name for a cat, I betcha. Well, then why call him Raymond? I have to. That's his name. Well, who named him? I did. Well, if you don't like the name Raymond for a cat, why did you name him Raymond? (laughs) I named him before I found out he wasn't that kind of a cat. I had a wonderful cat once when I was a kid, sis. Big striped fella. He was a bird cat. He was a who? <laughs> he was a bird cat. Always took him with me when I went hunting. Better than any bird dog I ever owned. I called him Sun. S-U-N, Sun. Oh, gee. On account of he was so bright, I bet you. No, on account of every night he'd disappear and wouldn't come back till morning. <laughs> well, sir, I'll never forget one day. No! Now, quiet, quiet, Raymond. I don't want to hear it either, but we got to be polite. <laughs> well, sir, I'll never forget one day I was out after some quail. Willie Toops had a brother in the Navy, and he says... Please! Okay. Quiet, Raymond. <laughs> well, sir, this bird cat of mine was sneaking on ahead, sliding silently through the brush like a little cloud of gray smoke. Uh-huh. Suddenly, he disappears. I wait, and then I feels a tug at my pants leg, and there was Sun. He looks up at me and jerks his head toward a little patch of woods. I takes the safety off my shotgun. The cat shakes his head. I was puzzled. Gee, me too, I betcha. And Raymond. (laughs) Well, sir, the brainy little beast leads me to a little cabin in a clearing. There was a bench outside the door, and on the bench was an almanac. The cat jumps up onto the bench, wets his paw with his tongue, and starts turning the pages. Comes to a calendar and looks up at me. I looks at the page, and then I seen it. Seen what? Not seen, Teeny. Saw. I saw what the cat meant. The quail season didn't open till the next day. <laughs> that cat had saved me a ten-buck fine and maybe a week in the pokey. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, whatever became of him, mister, whatever, whatever. He ran away, sis, and I never saw him again. Unless... Hmm? Unless what? Well, a few years later, I passed a woman on the street wearing a funny-looking striped fur coat just <laughs> kind of flung across her shoulders. And as I went past, one of the sleeves waved at me. (laughs) That may 
have been just a coincidence. Gee, you think my kitty will ever be that smart, mister? I rather doubt it, sis, but let me have a look at him. I've been a judge at more cat shows than the chairwoman of a sewing circle. Okay. Here, Raymond, let Mr. McGee look at yeah. him. Now, take it easy, Raymond. Hey! Hey, she's crushing. Hey, come back here, you little monster. Hey, Oh, she ran out the door. Here, Where is he, sis? Where'd he go? He, he went under the porch. Oh, sure. And it's all your fault. Mm-hmm. He was the only kitty I ever had except Margaret. And he's a dog. Now, 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 now. Take it easy, sis. I'll get Raymond out of there. If I have to tear the house down. Oh, my poor little kitty. Poor little now, Raymond. Now, please, sis, please. What'll the neighbors think? <laughs> if I only had something to take my mind off of it, like... Well, maybe 50 cents or something. Oh, oh, for the love of Pete. Here's 50 cents. Now pipe down. I'll get Raymond back for you. Promise? Absolutely. Okay. Then I'll go down to Kramer's drugstore and get a couple of banana splits. Hmm? Most women, when they got trouble, they go out and buy a hat. I buy banana splits. Thanks, mister. Hey, wait a minute. Hey, Tina. Why, that little... Oh, well... Never break a promise to a child. Here, Raymond. Here, Raymond. Nice kitty. Here, kitty, 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 kitty. Doggone it. Or, I mean, cat doggone it. I better go and get my flashlight. Now, right there's where he ran under the porch, Molly. Yeah, you see? Yeah. Now, you stand here, and when I flush him out, you grab him. You better put some gloves on. He scratches like a 1923 record of Isham Jones. <laughs> well, all right, but... Oh, wait a minute, dearie. Here comes that nice Mr. Williams, the weatherman. Oh, we'll never get any place talking to him. He skirts a subject like Hattie Carnegie with a stylish stout. That guy is so... Hush, dearie. Hello there, Mr. Williams. Ah, it's Mr. and Mrs. McGee. Good afternoon, in a way. <laughs> Hi, Williams. How's everything in the weather bureau? Cloudy Tuesday, followed by Wednesday and Thursday? Uh... Unsettled, rather. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have information of a cold front moving in from the Pacific, which, if it meets high temperatures over the Midwest, might result in almost anything. (laughs) I would say, unofficially, that conditions are general. uh, Although they might change for the better, or worse, (laughs) it's difficult to say. Yes, uh, it seems to be. (laughs) By the way, Williams, what's your first name? In case I want to send the Weather Bureau a postcard. I find the government gives better service if you pester them a little. (laughs) My name is F. Ogden Williams. F. Ogden Williams. What's the F for, Mr. Williams? Uh, That was left indefinite, Mrs. McGee. (laughs) My parents just named me F. Ogden. I was to choose my own first name when I came of age, but I've been unable to reach a a definite conclusion. (laughs) That I can believe. F. Ogden Williams, eh? You know something, Foggy? (laughs) You kind of remind me of my brother. He was a stocking salesman, but he was too bashful for the work. Couldn't stand getting himself out on a limb. I see. I think. Yes. Yes, I'm sure I do. (laughs) Well, I'm sure you must be busy. At least you seem to be making preparation for something. Naturally, I wouldn't know, for sure. Well, 
Good day, probably. <laughs> Mark my words, love boat. That guy is going to be an important man in the government one of these days. You think so, dearie? Yes, sir. Any guy that can avoid taking a stand on anything like he does is going right to the top. <laughs> Well, this isn't getting that cat out of there. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. Here, Raymond. Here, kitty, kitty, kitty. kitty. Well, he's under the porch, all right, but maybe not... Well, 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 what goes on here? And can you use another player? Why, hello, Dr. Gamble. There's a cat under the porch, and himself here is going in after Yeah, never mind giving me some expert advice, too, either, Tommy Thumper. (laughs) Yeah. I took more cats out from under more porches than you took appendixes out of people with simple indigestion. Well, you know, uh, he promised the little girl across the street he'd rescue her cat, and he's going to do it, Doctor. I never break a promise to a child, Doc. Anybody that makes a promise to a child in the first place is a fathead, but I did it and I got to make good. You still under there, Raymond? Are you sure his name is Raymond? Sounds like an old girlfriend of mine. Always hungry and always complaining. Well, doggone it, you'd be pretty miserable, too, if you were hiding in the dark under a strange porch, scared to death and with a busted leg. McGee, a broken leg? Why, you didn't tell me. That poor little thing, how terrible. Well, don't stand there like a goop, you sadistic little brute. Why didn't you tell me? We can't let that kitten suffer. Here, hold my medicine kit. I get under the porch, you hand it to me. No, no, Doc. This is my job. Let me do it. On side, McGee. I've never doctored a cat before, but it'll be nice having a patient who won't try to tell me my business. (laughs) I sure appreciate this, Doc. Out of my way, Gabby. Now, let me see. I better go in feet first in case there's no room to turn around. Oh, my goodness. He'll ruin that suit. He can't hurt that suit. <laughs> he sent it to the Greek Relief three times, and they always send it back. <laughs> How you doing, Doc? I'm all right. Hand me that flashlight. It's as dark as a peritoneum in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but whose? <laughs> here you are, Doctor. Do you see the cat in there? Well, I'm getting close to him. He just walked across my back. Well, good, good. That's a pretty long walk for a small kitten, Doc. (laughs) Can't you grab him? Be quiet a minute. Let me look around under here. Oh, isn't this terrible. Has that poor little thing really a broken leg? Nah, I never said it had a broken leg. I just said the Doc would be miserable, too, if he was under a strange porch with a broken leg. (laughs) You know, Doc. Always jumping to conclusions. Why, Fibber McGee, you just said that, so he did Oh, hello, pal. What's going on? Oh, hi, Junior. There's a cat under the porch. We're trying to get him out, Mr. Wilcox. Hey, have you got any more batteries for this flashlight, McGee? It's getting pretty dim. That's not a cat. That's Doc Gamble. (laughs) What's he doing under the house? He just bought a new foundation garment, and he's trying it out. Say, Molly, hold my coat, will you please? I'm going under that porch myself. Go ahead, Junior. And if you run across a fat little animal in there with an intelligent look in his eye, that's the cat. (laughs) Doc is the one with the flashlight. (laughs) And that's the first portion of Fibber, McGee, and Molly from 1947. More of Hollywood 360 after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Next time, it's the conclusion to Fibber McGee and Molly, then Herbert Marshall stars in a tale well calculated to keep us in suspense. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.